if I was a single mom, had the kids half the time, I would try to pour myself more into the kids when they were with me and pour myself into work more when they weren't with me. And I remember uh, distinctly saying, listen, I'm going to pick up my kids from school on the days that they're with me. And I'm going to work from home after that. And I, I'm going to give this business, it, it, you know, my all. But if you don't feel like that I'm giving it my all, we can sit down and I, I'll, I'll just take less pay. But this is what I'm going to do. I'm so glad I, I did that. But I also realized I needed to get rid of any of the guilt, the mom guilt, you know, that we all have. You know, God put me on earth to show my boys a strong, independent, smart woman. And I hope they marry somebody like that someday. And I, I'm a role model for them. And that's part of my purpose. From the Chase Studio at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center, you're listening to Circle Back. This is the show where Nashville's most dynamic entrepreneurs share their stories of startup success and stumbles. I'm your host, Clark Buckner. Today, we sit down with Beth Chase. She founded C3 Consulting and is one of Nashville's most civic-minded business leaders. Thoughtful and analytical, she built not one, but two successful companies. Stay tuned to hear how she did it. This episode is brought to you by financial planning and investment advisor, Haas Gidlin Wealth. Support also comes to us from the digital asset fund, UTXO Management. Thanks to our media partner, The Nashville Post, and thanks to our friends over at Lightning 100 for helping get the word out. This is a production of the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. Here's our COO, John Murdoch, to share more. We believe that entrepreneurs should have the opportunity to follow their dream, learn, and create their own success. Yet, this path is not always the same for everyone. Since our opening in 2010, we've helped 10,000 entrepreneurs explore this journey. And for every $1 invested into a scholarship, scholars have generated $7 in investment and $4 in revenue. Since 2016, the EC has offered diversity scholarships for our pre-flight program to women founders, veteran entrepreneurs, founders of color, student ambassadors, LGBTQIA founders, and foreign-born founders. In five years, we've awarded 92 scholarships. In 2020, we expanded scholarships to cover all of our programs. EC scholars have gone on to create 40 jobs in the Nashville community. Help us keep the playing field level and foster the probability of success. Check us out at ec.co. When I was growing up, my family was a very competitive, athletic family. My older sister, my younger sister, and I all three played tennis in high school. My brother played golf. My dad was a tennis and golf kind of guy. We played high school tennis together, and we were all in the pecking order. The older sister, I would never beat the older sister, and the younger sister would never beat me. I mean, it was just, it was an unwritten rule, and it was hilarious. We played one, two, three on the high school tennis team, and we were very competitive across the state and across the southeast. Competitive and super talented. 
So much so, Beth ended up at the first tennis boarding school in the country. Nick Boletieri's Tennis Academy. It was run by the same coach who would train Andre Agassi, Jim Courier, and Monica Sellis. He's iconic in the in the tennis industry today, and so there were, must have been 20 or 30 tennis courts and a pro on every court, and he would rotate, 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 and finally get to that first court with Nick. And you only had about 10 minutes a day with him, and boy, you were as sharp as you could be when you were on that court. You didn't want to miss a ball because he would yell at you, and he, he was just um, unbelievably motivating for me. You can read Andre's book, and he says the opposite, but... Nick was a real, uh, a great coach. I think it solidified my competitive instincts and my grit, the, the, the grit that I have in terms of personality, which has helped me as an entrepreneur. But the other thing that was fun about it is I got exposed to the world. People were from Switzerland and Saudi Arabia and Boston and New York, and here I was, a little country bumpkin from Eastern Kentucky, and I just learned a lot about the world. We had a 12-acre piece of land, and we had a house on the land, and my grandparents lived right behind us, and my aunt and uncle and cousins lived right behind them, and we were all on one property. So it was kind of fun. It was just like one big camp, I guess, as we were growing up, and we'd go see my grandmother every Sunday, and she would uh, make pancakes for us, and we'd always try to eat our age. So she would make small pancakes, so if we were 10, we would try to eat 10 little uh, silver do- dollar <laughs> pancakes, which is fun. I had an aspiration to get a college scholarship to go to a great school because my dad had said to all three of us, or all four of us, you've got to go in-state in Kentucky to college unless you get a college scholarship. Well, that was just the motivation that I needed. So uh, really going to Florida and solidifying a college scholarship, that was my goal. I had visited Vanderbilt and gotten to know the coach, and he called me and said that uh, I had a scholarship, but I had to be accepted into the, into the school. I don't actually remember that part. My mom told me years later that she was sweating it out, afraid that I wasn't going to get accepted to Vanderbilt and probably wouldn't get accepted today. There were times, there were moments where I didn't really feel like I totally fit in because it was such a Southern school, and... Um, women didn't sweat for sure at Vanderbilt. They might have perspired a little bit, and I was an athlete, you know, and I was um, I, I was from this small town coming into this uh, more sophisticated place, so it was quite a change. I decided really early on to major in math. Why? Because it was easy, and I wanted to get great grades, and I thought, I, I love math. It's easy for me. Therefore, I'm going to major in it and keep taking more and more and I and get a great GPA. And that was sort of my uh, mode of operation. And then I, I started taking uh, economic classes, and I loved that too. And so I double majored in math and economics. And I took a lot of computer science classes. We would go to the computer lab and in order to program something, instead of typing it in, you were punching holes in cards and you would run it through a system and it would run the program for you. Those punch cards, or Hollerith cards, were pioneered by IBM. 
the company that would also give us floppy disks, magnetic stripes, and UPC codes. Beth was recruited by the giant firm right off campus and headed to Texas. And it was my first interview, and I got a job offer, and I took it. <laughs> I thought, sure, why not? Austin, Texas sounds like a great place, and IBM's a great company, and I took off and, uh, and went for it. My job was to report actuals versus budget on scrap. It was a manufacturing floor, so I, I think I had the bottom-of-the-barrel job of counting scrap, things that weren't part of the successful manufacturing process. And by the eighth month, I automated my job. I had developed a, a little software program in SAS to, to automate a lot of what I was doing manually. And I got a little bored with it. So I, I needed a change. Plus, I my personal and my business kind of merged together to cause me to take the next step at IBM, which was transfer back to Nashville. My boyfriend lived here. We were engaged and IBM allowed me to transfer here, so I transferred, and that's really when I got into sales. The first year that I moved back to Nashville and ended up in sales, IBM put me through 26 weeks of training. It was incredible. A group of us would go to Atlanta and stay in these apartments, and we would go to class for a month and then come home for a week and go back and we did a lot of simulation and, you know, practice and learn methodologies. And we were just steeped in solution-based selling and, and selling on challenges and value and all this great stuff that I learned. And I remember I was just talking to my mom about this the other day. My stepdad said to me when I came home one time, Beth, when are you going to get in the black? I said, what are you talking about? He said, when are you going to get in the black? Oh, you are in the red. IBM has spent 26 weeks of training with you. And that really stuck with me. I was selling hardware. I was selling software. And I ended up on the HCA account. There were five sales reps, and we lived at HCA back when HCA first started. In fact, today, people still think that I worked there at one time because it was prior to cell phones, so whenever somebody was looking for me, they would page me uh, in the building, and people really got to know my name because I was meeting with a lot of different people, but it was a, it was a great experience. And so as the healthcare family tree grew, uh, my relationships grew in Nashville. Over time, Beth made a breakthrough about the nature of sales and relationship. When you feel like you're selling, you fail. When you feel like you are helping and problem solving, and when you can't help and when you can't problem solve, you connect the client to somebody who can help, then that builds this deeper and deeper and deeper relationship. Providing expertise that a client doesn't have or can't see sounds like the very definition of consultant. So after acing some internal IBM workshops, someone suggested she make a change. I facilitated a lot of little workshops internally. And suddenly, a, another person that was with IBM in the consulting business was in one of the meetings and she came up to me afterwards and she said, have you ever thought about being a consultant? And she said, you would be really great at it. And I said, well, Sure, that, you know, it's like every job I took at IBM, I liked it better than the previous one, but I, I loved 
the the sales role, but what I didn't like was your. I felt like you didn't get the full respect, you know, because you're a salesperson, right? And so um, somebody saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, but I said, sure, I'll I'll, I'll go do that. And I and I went into IBM's uh, global services business, and I loved it. There were two big things I learned in the consulting business at IBM that have carried through to the rest of my career. And I, I tell people this all the time, but the one was facilitation skills. So I took a really intensive facilitation class. And then the second one was a ne- negotiation class. And those two pieces of capability really helped me be a great consultant. Beginning to travel more and more, and take on bigger and bigger responsibility, and I had twin boys at home, young twin boys at home, and so I um, had to really think about: Did I want to keep taking on a bigger responsibility and travel, you know, more and more? Um, and at the same time, a person that I worked with at IBM was ready. He was 20 years older than me. He was ready to retire. But he didn't really want to slow down. And so we started talking and started dreaming about, well, could we have our cake and eat it too? Could we, could we start a consulting company and, so, and solve problems but live and, and you know, sleep in our own bed every night? So I went into business with Jim Clayton. And Jim was my manager at IBM. And uh, so he was more on the people side and I was more on the consulting side. And we made a great pair but what convinced me was we built this pro forma, and it looked doable. It looked it looked totally doable. Um, while he was 20 years older than me, and the CEO of the firm, we were 50/50 business partners. So I negotiated up front that I wanted to be 50/50, and that was one of the best decisions I made. And we had a shareholder agreement when we when we started shareholder agreements are interesting right so What's they're that? they're prenups they're they're business prenups it's a set of terms in which you're going to operate and a set of terms of when you when you no longer want to operate and so when you uh, have a 50/50 business nobody's in charge right there's really nobody's in charge you don't have 51 uh, I would certainly advise entrepreneurs on making sure that you pick your partners carefully which I have done and pick your you know terms etc uh, carefully because it is like a marriage Beth made sure the new business had at least one paying client and they were off to the races we were very focused on leading and executing technology change We are one of the world's leading producers of fiber-based packaging, pulp, and paper. Our global team is committed to strengthening our people and the communities where we live and work. International Paper was one of my clients, and they it's funny that they were trying to get rid of paper. Because it was International Paper. I thought that was so awesome. But they had um, begun to implement shared services, but their accounts payable process, and they had a huge global multi-billion dollar business. Accounts payable had a lot of paper associated with it. So what we did was we streamlined that process from beginning to end and took all that paper and stored it electronically, processed it, developed workflows, automated things, that kind of stuff for back office business processes is really what that is. I think that both of us knew 
that we had a great run, but we sort of had different uh, perspectives about the future. And I always thought that I would, you know, succeed him in the in the business. That's because I was tw- 20 years younger. I, you know, I am. And but life doesn't always turn out the way that you think uh, it it's going to in your mind and in your vision. But we had this shareholder agreement, and there's one way to get out of a 50-50 agreement, and that's to execute a dynamite clause. And so there's a dynamite clause. If one person wants to get out of the relationship, they can execute that. So he executed the dynamite clause. Stay with us, because after the break, we'll tell you exactly how Beth turned this potential pitfall into her biggest opportunity yet. Meet Art Haas. He's the CEO and managing partner at Haas Goodwin Wealth. Most of our clients, when they come to us, have experienced some level of success. You know, our clients have taken risk in their lives, and so our job is to help them take the fruits of that labor and to maintain it and grow it. They work with their clients and their clients' families. As they transition from different points in their lives and then also to think about that next generation and to help them with educating their their own families and their children and their children's children about how to, you know, effectively manage the success that the previous generations have provided for them. Reach out to their friendly and helpful team at HawesGoodwin.com. Make your mark together We'll make sure it lasts. Additional support for this episode comes from UTXO Management. You've probably heard of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, but did you know this? There's over 5,000 digital assets or quote-unquote cryptocurrencies out there. There are less than 20 that make any sense for anybody to add capital into. That's Coin Matier, and he's the managing director of UTXO Management, and they're located right here in Nashville. UTXO is an asset management business focused on implementing Bitcoin strategies for accredited investors. We can keep them away from the 4,800 and make selections within, within the 20, the primary one being Bitcoin. If you're looking to make investments into Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, feel free to reach out to them. If you're not quite ready to make that investment, they would still love to hear from you. We love educating anyone and everybody that wants to talk about Bitcoin as well. So you can email ir at utxo.management. Here's what happened next. Beth's business partner, Jim Clayton, had just executed the dynamite clause. You may know it as a shotgun clause. It's a common way 50-50 partners buy one another out. So Jim named a price, and Beth had 60 days to decide what she'd do. For 45 days, I went about buying them out. I got the loan lined up. I got a leader lined up to help me. I wrote the press release. I was ready. And then something didn't feel right. Just my stomach hurt. I didn't have a non-compete, didn't have a non-solicitation. 
So I could take the money and go and start my own business the next day, or I could go into debt and buy the business that I thought I would always run. But then you you opened up the lid and looked in the business and you decided, well, it's not your culture. It's Because culture comes from the top. And the culture was more his culture than mine, you know? And so my husband and my father-in-law both said, hey, take the money and run. Go, not run in a bad way. Run, run with it, you know, start something else. Those 15 days were the most incredible days because I knew that I could put money in the bank and immediately turn around and, and start another company. And he agreed. Jim agreed um, for me to take one client with me. And I was very respectful and didn't go after any, any clients for six months to a year. Um, but I had a client, just like the first time. That client came through a longtime connection from Beth's days inside HCA. When you think your path is going to go one direction and then you, you know, suddenly are thrown into a time-compressed um, decision, big, a high-stakes decision for yourself in a very time-compressed manner, that can shake you. You know, that can, that can really shake your, your confidence. Um, but when I started C3, I knew I wanted to put my fingerprints all over the culture. And I've become a real study of culture today. And I think change creates such growth and such opportunity. And this moment really caused me to grow significantly uh, and quickly. I remember distinctly waking up. I would wake up two or three times a night, jump out of bed and go work on the pro forma more, you know, because, and I would keep adding to it. And uh, every, every, both businesses that, that I started, I finally was able to convince myself that it was a good idea by building, you know, I had the vision, but by building a financial pro forma where I could show myself that there was actually some profit there, some money there, you know. So what I really loved to do was accelerate change and, and drive transformation and make big things happen in companies. And so that was the first engagement and that's really what we specialized in. The new company would need a name and a name that had meaning. David Gerard, who since then left and started his own company and is a good friend of mine, was was personally the one that was helping, helping me with that. It, it was funny that uh, he said, okay, we'll help you with a name. What are the characteristics of the company? I'm like, hell, I don't know what the characteristics of the company, but he starts whiteboarding and they start writing words. I'm just throwing out words. And then I kept saying, I keep coming back to C3, C3. And I, I had, at the time it was C cubed, the math sort of thing coming in. But I knew um, Chase, Chase was a C and Consult was a C. And I kept coming to the third word, connect. After a year or two, we dropped Chase. And it became consult, connect, and change. The three C's. The core of C3 was really four. Four people Beth handpicked for their skills. 
I wanted to be majority owner. That was a requirement for me. But I wanted partners and I wanted to be um, collaborative. And so we just we we just talked about it and of course created one of those shareholder agreements and they each became minority owners and I was the majority and we sort of crafted that but I think even before that um, I wanted to make sure that the four of us gelled well our office at the beginning was in my house for the first couple of years well it was awesome until um we got really too big. You know, everybody worked out with the clients, so there were only a few of us in my house at one time. But my husband came home one day, and we were still working at five thirty. And he said, "Okay, you guys got to get, you just got to get out of here." <laughs> well, we would do the, we would do our team meetings at my house. We did two things that I think were critically important. One was that the four of us um, collaborated on all on all kinds of things, internal growth, client stuff. And that created a significant amount of alignment, a lot of alignment. And we really, we believe in that. And that's actually part of our secret sauce in consulting today. But secondly, then when we would go out to meet with clients, we would go two by two. So we would, we would always have two of us with any client conversation. And so we learned how to talk about the business in the same way. At the first full year, I built a pro forma that said we could do $2.5 million. That was, and I thought that was reasonable, and they were super excited about it. And we all got got excited about it, and they ended up joining and you know signing up, and we went after it. And our first year, we we did like four point five million or something. It was crazy. I would attribute a lot of my success at C three to Randy. He may have blown the whistle on a few board meetings in his living room. But Randy Chase was the right man at the right time. Actually, we met at Home Depot. We were, it was a spring and Saturday and we were both in the grill section and we were both buying grills. And so he helped me pick a grill out. We bought matching grills. We rolled them out together. And then mine wouldn't fit in my car because he suggested I buy one fully put together, which was a damn good idea. And he drove my grill over to my house and set it up. We had a couple of drinks, and then he left. I think he had a date that night, but um, I emailed him to try to thank him for setting that up and wanted to play golf, and he kind of blew me off for 30 days, but then he decided to come over, and we grilled out for our first date, and uh, that was pretty symbolic, but we got married a year, year and a half later. Um, so I have four children, actually, uh, two, uh, my twins plus two, my marriage and it's wonderful that and the kids are so blended that's a uh, we and they were 10 8 and and 5 when we got married Morgan Alex Chris and Clay I went uh went through a divorce when my kids were 8 and during that period of time when I was I was a single mom I needed to get rid of any of the guilt the mom guilt that people, you know, that we all have. And that's okay if I'm not at, at every event. What I'm doing will have an impact on them. I'm a role model for them. And that's part of my purpose. Biggest defeat. Uh, this is a this is a killer for, for a business and certainly for an entrepreneur. I think we perhaps we're drinking a little bit too much of our own Kool-Aid 
and feeling our oats about the growth that we had in the business. We were feeling very confident about that. And we, for the first time in the history of our business, hired ahead, way ahead. This was in 2016. Late 2015, we had grown considerably year over year, and we were looking into the new year, presidential election. We were, you know, looking at that, and all signs that our clients were giving us was that the next year was going to be, you know, we grew 25%. Next year looked like it was going to be 25%. We were feeling very optimistic, and we hired way ahead. And then um, Trump was elected. By surprise. I've just received a call from Secretary Clinton. And a good number of our clients slowed down to just figure it out because we had a lot of healthcare clients. And you know, they thought it was going to be a Democrat as a Republican, and, and the clients slowed, and we found ourselves in a situation where we had to lay off people that we had very recently hired. And it was like a perfect storm of a lot of different things came together during that period of time. It was a very difficult, it was the first time and the only time I've ever had to lay off anybody. And it wasn't who we were and it wasn't who we wanted to be. And it was certainly, I put all the, the I shouldered that because there were a series of decisions that, that we made that caused that to happen. And so that was difficult. We knew we needed to manage our business in a different way to not just look at um, run rates, but to look to have some leading indicators in addition to lagging. We created all kinds of systems and processes, not, not overkill, but really innovated around that. And the team came together and the leadership team knew, by God, we need to go out and generate demand right now in a different way. And we, we um, came together and became so much stronger after that. was about 30 million uh, in revenue and you know about a hundred and you know somewhere between 100 and 110 people in the, in the business at the time and we started really thinking about long-range planning we'd always done planning you know strategic planning because that's what we do with clients but we really started thinking five ten years out and we knew we needed to, to do some succession planning. And I think we all loved the business. Um, there were four of us in the business. One partner, you know, early on, the early on partner had exited and we had another partner in the business. So there were four of us again. And we started talking about options. And we could look for ways for the next generation to buy us out. We could take private equity money. Or we could sell to a strategic organization. And we started thinking about our vision. We had, we had a solid you know, purpose. We knew what we were about, our vision, and where we wanted to go. We had expanded at this time, by this time way outside of Nashville. And we realized that it was going to get harder and harder for us to execute uh, the vision by being independent. Thirteen years after the company came to life in Beth's living room, C3, one of the 10 largest woman-owned businesses in Middle Tennessee, was acquired by Ankara, DC-based business advisory firm. 
there was a strong cultural fit. The collaborative culture was there, a strong strategic fit. Ankara had a set of assets that were more reactive set of services, working with distressed businesses or businesses in trouble in some way. And we were bringing additive capabilities so we could continue to run that business fairly entrepreneurial. Anchor is entrepreneurial. So we had, uh, and it was, and it was going to provide a great opportunity for our team. So that's kind of how we, how we got to that. We did not pick the highest price. We picked the best fit. They wanted us to be there. Um, we didn't have to stay, stay five years. And uh, after two and a half years, it's been two and a half years now. And that's really flown. Tell you what my purpose is, and it was um, something that I spent a lot of time on and thought about after my divorce. Uh, Sunday morning and I just wandered into a non-denominational church that I'd never been in before and I never went back. But the minister was talking about uh, finding your purpose. And he, on on the bulletin, there were like six questions that you were to ask yourself. And then I think write your purpose statement in 12 words or less, something like that. It struck a chord with me, so I went home. I went for a run. I thought about it all day long, and I worked on it, worked on it, worked on it, and I came up with this purpose. And it's about developing long-term, meaningful, positive relationships that have a lasting impact on all. Those were the words. Those, like, those are the exact words. I feel like I've been living that, and... My next chapter will include, I hope, more of that. I have a new business idea that um, is around the word connect. I'll leave that as a mystery because it's not very well formed yet. But um, don't know if I'll start it, but I'll at least think about it. Beth, when are you going to get in the black? I actually called my mom the other day and I said, you know, Paul would be very proud of me. I've act, I'm actually in the black now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go your own way. Go your own way. The day we interviewed Beth was actually just when she announced her retirement from Ankara. But she's far from done. We're forever grateful for her continuous efforts circling back to pay it forward. And you better believe that consulting and mentorship will always be part of the ongoing story of Beth Chase. Thanks for listening to another episode of Circle Back. Be sure to subscribe at ec.co slash circle back and subscribe, rate, and review the show anywhere and everywhere you get your podcasts like Apple Podcasts and Amazon Music. This episode is brought to you by Haas Goodwin Wealth and UTXO Management. Circle Back is also made possible by the generous support of the Beth and Randy Chase family. A special shout out to our media sponsor, The Nashville Post. 
Subscribe to their fantastic newsletter at NashvillePost.com. And a podcast for Music City wouldn't be complete without a little music discovery at the end of the show. You're listening to Go Your Own Way by Leroy Wild. Thanks, Lightning 100, for supporting the show. Check them out at Lightning100.com. Radio hand-selected by people for people. Also a thanks to our team, from our creator and executive producer, Greg Allen. Script writing by Demetria Kaladimos, and production support from Gaines Allen. I'm Clark Buckner. We'll see you soon on another episode of Circle Back. <laughs>